0: If I were to say to you I don't do anything on my own I only do what my dad does. If I were to give you that statement I don't don't do anything on my own I only do what my dad does. And I were to ask you to make an assessment of what that statement means or what it might tell you about me I would imagine that the psychology of our day and the fact that we're not too many years removed from Oprah, Dr. Phil being popular, um, you might come to the conclusion that someone who would say such a thing is codependent or lacks initiative or is weak in some way. I think that would be a, a common way to approach that statement that someone who can't take any initiative on their own and will only do what they see a parent do would be a weak person. But the person who made that statement was Jesus. In the Gospel of John, he says, John chapter 4, I don't do anything of my own initiative. I only do what my father sent me to do. It's interesting. Of all the spiritual disciplines that we study and that we try to grow in, there are some that I really like. I like reading. I like study. I like quietness, peacefulness. I like to sing. I I don't mind praying. That's a tough one for me, but it's, it's a good discipline. Submission is a very tricky spiritual discipline. It's not one we like to talk about because the connotation that we sometimes draw from Scripture when it comes to submission tends to fire up our attitudes about what it means to submit, and we have a very clear worldview that submission is a form of weakness, that in order to submit, you must weaken yourself in some way. And yet, Jesus himself was submissive. So we need to examine the scriptural truth about submissiveness as a spiritual discipline and what that means for us. It is clearly our knee-jerk response to think of submission as a weakened state, lessening yourself, yielding yourself, and yet we see Jesus stating outright, I don't do anything, I just do what I see my father doing, and I do what he sent me to do. Jesus we also see in the garden. Uh, prior to his death, he knows his time is, is, is up. He knows his life is about to end and he seeks his father out. And of all the things he could pray for in that moment, what did he pray for? He prayed for you. He prayed for us. He prayed that his people would be called together and that we would all be one. In a moment where a million different things could have been on his mind about what he was going to face, his focus was on us because Jesus was a singularly focused individual. Jesus had a mission, he knew how he needed to accomplish it, and he had the will to accomplish it, and he did. His singular focus is a sign of his strength, his carrying out of the gospel mission we look at it as strength, but what is it to carry out a mission except submissiveness to your task? One of my favorite movies, it's not often cited as a, as a popular or a favorite sports movie, but it is a Kevin Costner movie, and it's not Field of Dreams. He did another baseball, he did a couple other baseball movies, but the one that I, I actually really like, because I'm sappy like this, is a little film called For Love of the Game. Kevin Costner plays an aging... Uh, pitcher for the Detroit Tigers the team is about to be sold he's going to be traded he has to decide whether he wants to just be another cog in this little machine or if he's going to go out on his terms and there's a love story in there but you, you can ignore that uh, He's he he goes out to pitch what will be his final game and, and the movie tells the story of the game and I won't spoil it but it has a perfect ending Wink. Um, and he he does this thing as the character this picture when he when he comes set and all the crowd noise i mean 40 50,000 people screaming at you i was actually at a major league game last night i i was given some tickets by a friend i took anna kate to st louis to watch the cardinals and they didn't even have a full house but the the crowd is enormously loud and i wonder sometimes how do these guys do what they do and in the movie The way that they describe it is they show Kevin Costner, the crowd around him, and he says a phrase to himself. His phrase is, clear the mechanism. That is his way of clearing his mind. And in the movie, the way they demonstrate this is the crowd is silent. You see them screaming, but there's no audio. You're in the pitcher's head. He has found a way to cancel out the sound, the noise, the distraction to be singularly focused on his mission of delivering a strike. In the same way, we see people in our military forces who are able not just to to know how to move, how to fire upon an enemy, how to take a position, but how to eliminate all of the distraction in those moments. The singular focus on a mission is at its heart a submission to something. You are not acting of your own accord, you are acting in service to the mission, as Jesus did, and your ability to cut out all of the things that will distract you is a part of that. Bob Dylan, one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Now, his, his voice would not get him past the auditions on American Idol, but he was one of the greatest songwriters of all time, and he won a Nobel Prize, in fact, which kind of makes me laugh sometimes. Uh, He wrote a song Called you got to serve somebody Pretty long song, but I would encourage you to listen to it He wrote that during a time in his life where he converted to christianity He took a lot of heat for becoming a christian and he did a whole album about his faith Uh, And it incurred a lot of backlash much like when he went electric earlier in his career But in that song he talks about we don't have a choice in this life You are going to serve someone. You just have to decide who it's going to be. And the line in the song is, it may be the devil, and it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. The the, the case is that in this life, it is not a question of whether submitting ourselves is a sign of weakness or a sign of strength, or if we will submit one way or the other. The question is, who will you submit to? Because if you are not submissive to God and to his path for you, you will be submissive to this world. We see this all the time, and we see it right now. I mean, look at the world around you. Look at the different opinions that float around in this world. Look at how they're expressed. Look at where they're expressed. And look at what happens when someone expresses an idea different than what is generally considered acceptable. Now, Whether or not the argument is valid, whether or not you agree or disagree, that's beside the point. But look how people are attacked for stepping out and then told that they need to think for themselves. I mean, did you not pay attention? A dissenting opinion is someone thinking for themselves, but the world will crush a dissenting opinion and it will lift up voice of a mob. This world will tell you what to say How to say it, what to like, what not to like, what to be offended by, what to march for and what to stand for, what causes are worthy of support and which are not. There is not a freedom from submission in the world. The world will submit you to its will. It will demand things of you. So the choice is not whether we will submit to God or live according to our own purpose and desire. The question really is, will you submit to God or will you submit to the world? You've got to serve somebody. And the reason this topic makes us so uncomfortable and the reason we don't talk about it in church a lot is because we think of submission as weakness and we have a tough time telling people and saying that we want to submit to God and we want to submit to his son because we're afraid that they will argue with us about what that means. We're afraid that people will reject the gospel because they do not want to submit. And the best way to understand submission is to understand what it's not. You hear people say, "Well, I don't want to be a Christian or I don't want to submit because I don't want to lose my freedom." The Christianity is all about not being able to do the things I want to do. I would say fair enough, there are some things about Faith and obedience that mean we don't get to do what we want to do. I don't say things that I sometimes want to say. I don't do things that I sometimes want to do. I don't go places I sometimes want to go. I don't post things I sometimes want to post. And the world views this as freedom. To be able to do as we wish. And what the world doesn't seem to understand is that they are slaves. To the changing winds of what's around them you look at the life of christ he wasn't a pinball bouncing around whichever way the world tossed him as we mentioned he was focused laser focused on a singular purpose if you choose not to serve god then you abandon the purpose that god has for you in life and you submit yourself even unknowingly to the world tossing you about as we change our mind over and over about who we are as human beings. My grandmother, 85 years old, I believe. No oh, no, she'll be older than that. 80, 86 years old this, uh, this year. Uh, has dementia, doesn't know who I am, doesn't know who anybody is for the most part. But she can remember things about her life, and she'll sometimes talk about them and tell the same stories over and over, and that's, that's what happens in that condition. And the world that she grew up in and lived in for the mo- majority of her life is very, very different than the world we live in today. The first election she ever voted in was for Dwight Eisenhower. Think about that. A long time ago for some of us. The world has changed dramatically. I, one time, when, when she was more uh, lucid, uh, years past, asked her about that. Because I was thinking about how much technology has changed in my life. You know, I grew up in, the, in a time largely before cell phones, certainly before smartphones. I can still remember we had the phone landline, it was attached to the wall in our kitchen, and it had the 10-foot cord on it so that you could talk to your friend and cook at the same time. How convenient the modern conveniences of the landline and a coiled wire. That was, you know, when when cell phones came out, when computers became ubiquitous, that was life-changing. For my grandmother, the microwave absolutely blew her mind when it came out. You can put something in there, and you can start it and cook it, and you can have your meal. Now, we don't think of a microwave as a tool for making a full meal anymore. We know its limitations, but at the time, it was supposed to change your life. The world changes, the world moves, the world adjusts, definitions change, words change, values change, and those who think and have convinced themselves that they live in freedom because they get to make their own choices are really nothing more than slaves being tossed around by the changes of the world. Those who believe that they have the freedom to partake in things of this world that Christians would abstain from, think that they have ultimate freedom. There were movements of of liberation throughout society over previous generations. Liberation from one thing or another. Different things that were labeled as freedom. And we found out subsequently to that that there are actually consequences for unfettered action and indulgence. There are consequences to our health and to our life that we have to live with. And I would ask people who have battled addiction, and I would ask people that have encountered a difficult, difficulties in their life because of choices they've made, do you feel free living according to your own will? Because it's not your own will. It's the world's will. You've got to serve somebody. Freedom is not found in the world. Freedom is found in Christ, in the singular focused purpose of living according to the calling of the gospel. We hear people also say, "Well, I don't want to lose my identity. I don't want to stop being me. Submitting to God means I don't get to be me anymore." Have you ever heard someone talking to someone who's about to get married and they say, "Don't you let them change you. You still be you." You know, urging their loved one to maintain their sense of self. Don't lose yourself in 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 this relationship or in this marriage. Well, I understand, I think, what they mean, but that's a very dangerous idea. You know, when we get married, when we enter into that kind of covenant relationship, it does change life. And for the most part, when we make that choice, it's because we want it to change. Does it limit your dating options? Certainly it does. But does it also create a new identity between two people who now become one? Yeah. What about having a child? You know, when we had Anna Kate, we'd been married just over a year, and we had Anna Kate. Life-changing. I had to submit to that child. We have to make sure she's fed and clothed and cared for her health, and, and you got to change diapers. I remember one time Nikki, Nikki uh, went out uh, with some friends, and, and I had Anna Kate. I was staying at home, and she came home and said, did, did, did you change her? And I said, no. She said, why not? And I said, the package clearly says five to eight pounds, and There's not that much in there yet. You learn things. You learn things. I know why people have a child. It's the second and third one I don't understand. And I have four, so clearly I don't get it either. When we have these events that change our life, when we have these moments where life calls us to submit to something, it's where we find our purpose. I've had to submit to my children. I've had to submit to my wife. Does that mean I stop being me? No, it means I become who I am. That's how I'm defined as a husband and a father. That's where I get my truest identity in submission. The idea that submitting to God somehow erases your freedom or your identity is a lie of this world that is told in order that you would submit to the world, to the oppression and slavery of an ever-changing culture. It ignores the truth. We've got to serve somebody. There's a lot written in Scripture about submission, submission to authorities, submission to one another, submission to God, even husbands and wives, and their submission to each other. But we read in the the book of Titus. In the book of Titus, the author there writes in chapter 3, Beginning in verse one, let's read that. I'm not going to read all of it because really, like chapter two through four are is all about submission, or, or not through four, but through the end of the through the end of the uh, the the book. But in chapter three, he says this: Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now. Okay, this is about submission to authorities, right? But listen to what the writer says after that. Verse 3, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, the author there is making a point about submission to authorities, living at peace with the world around us, submitting ourselves to one another, in fact. But the basis for his argument that we should submit is this. We used to be wild, we used to be lustful, we used to be tossed around by our passions and desires, and we used to be slaves to this world, submitted to the world. But God freed us from that. He liberated us from that. In what way? By us submitting to Him through Jesus Christ. We found a new life, a new purpose, a new identity, and a new kind of freedom in, Jesus, or in God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we live lives of submission even to one another in service and in love and in kindness and in peace. We are different. We are changed. We are transformed. We are not as we once were. And it involves living a life of submission. We need to change the definition. We need to, at the very least, change the way we think about it because submission is not the weakening of oneself. It is in fact a powerful and strong position, a demonstration of strength, the strength that comes from God to be devoted to a singular focused purpose of walking the path of salvation and drawing others to Christ. This world will tell you you are weak, but God in fact has made us strong in our submission, freeing us from the oppressive Tossing about that this world will offer, you can either follow the purpose, purposeful life of that God has called you to, or you can follow like a kite in a hurricane after this world. You got to serve somebody. I hope that today each of us will choose to be submissive to God and to redefine that word and understand it the way the Bible describes it—a liberation a choosing of a path that offers us focus and purpose, a freedom, a new identity, something that God has offered us freely through Christ that we can take hold of An escape from this world. I hope that each of us will take hold of that this morning. And if you need help getting there, then we're here to help. Each of us here to help one another because that's what it means to be submitted to someone, into something. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for me. That says something about my value, my worth, and my purpose. But he also gave his life for everyone else that I know. And that changes the way I treat people. And it should change the way I see people. And it should change the way we take care of one another. If you have any need this morning, for prayer, for encouragement, or to be made right with God through Christ. We want you to make that known to us and let us help you and let us walk with you as we stand and sing together. i wandered far away